you know, streaming online, we realized that we were building an entirely separate congregation, separate from the people that regularly attended our church. Like, you know, we have people regularly giving that have never stepped through our doors. Hey community, in today's episode, I got to interview Loop producer Jesse Fellows. Jesse and I talked about his track process and how he creates tracks. We talked about mixing and other tips that he has if you're interested in producing. Make sure you check out all of Jesse's tracks on loopcommunity.com. Just search Jesse David and all of his tracks will come up. He has a ton of tracks already. They sound great. They're awesome to use in your church services. So check out his tracks and enjoy the interview. Hey. Good morning. Morning. I'm Derek. <laughs> nice to meet you. Face nice to, face. to meet you too. Yeah, man. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Absolutely. Yeah. I was in my dungeon anyways, so. <laughs> Where is your dungeon located? So in my basement. I've got a basement studio. Uh, I spend quite a bit of time down here. It's separated. It's it's kind of finished it. It's pretty much just waterproof, even though we just dealt with a flood. A couple of weeks ago, we had some sewage backup from the city, so we had to empty the whole basement and redo it. So that was fun. But uh, so I'm in Boardman, Ohio. Nice. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm down here quite often. That's cool to have a separate space for sure, especially right now. <laughs> yes. So, how long have you been a loop producer? I don't know the exact amount of time. Not that long. I signed up uh, as a producer. I put it off for quite a while, but probably only six months, maybe if that awesome so new but you have a ton of tracks already which is awesome so for everybody who doesn't know jesse makes tracks he uploads to our site and we sell his community tracks so when you purchase tracks from jesse you're actually supporting him so make sure you check out his tracks that's why we're interviewing him today um, just to get to know him better i think it's awesome jesse just a lot of times people just purchase tracks and they don't really know the people behind them um, so that's why we just like highlighting uh, loop producers like yourself do you lead worship at all? I do. I am the worship arts pastor at the, the Gate Church in North Lima, Ohio. My my main role is leading in song on Sunday mornings, but I also oversee pretty much any area of the arts, such as sound, tech, stage development, lighting production. So pretty much any ministry that has to do with Sunday morning service, I kind of view that all as one nice big gift that we just give to the church and to people that aren't a part of the church, but that are there. Uh, so I oversee all of those elements. Wow. That's awesome. What has it been like overseeing those elements this year, the last few months? It's been weird. Uh, you know, most churches have been kind of forced to an online streaming platform. Right. I resisted it for a long time, primarily just because I knew the amount of work that it was going to take to accomplish that. Because, you know, the reality is, is most churches probably have, you know, only a handful of people that are on staff and you're dealing with volunteers and sometimes that can be limited. So I realized that to do it well, or at least to the, the excellence that like I would want to strive for, it would require an entirely separate team. Yeah. Uh, on top of the team that it takes just to do a normal Sunday morning service. So so that was actually kind of good that it all happened because it's something that our church had kind of envisioned for a long time. And we actually utilized uh, all of this time through this pandemic to 
put systems in place to be able to almost have our online stream be like just a natural byproduct of what happens in the room. So uh, I trained all of our team members that just serve on a weekly basis, Sunday morning, and we put systems in place to where whatever happens in our live stream, we're really just focusing on what's happening and taking place in the room. And we, we've got it set pretty nice to where it's, it sounds really good. And the I'm big in automation. So everything is almost dummy proof as long as it's programmed properly. So one click of a button, cameras change, uh, stream feeds change, lighting cues change, all of that stuff. And the next step would be moving into it being completely done through Ableton Live with our tracks. But that's a whole nother ball of wax of getting yeah. into programming all of that. So. I've done it before. It's just so time consuming and there's so many other things. It's just not, it's not up there on the priority list currently. So yeah, for sure. There's so many churches who like, are like, Oh, we've always wanted to go online. So I guess now we have to. <laughs> yeah. And the weird thing is, so we shut down, you know, and it was just the team, like people that were a part of the service, you know, music and teaching and anybody running sound or any media behind the scenes. And I hated it. I, I just absolutely hated it because as as a worship leader, you know, I think to to be good at what we're called to do, you know, we're leading people in song. And in in order to do that well, we need to know people. So it's it's a very relational thing uh for me. So to to lead worship to the lens of a camera, not knowing who is watching, not knowing who's going through what it's a very just vast place to be in your mind when you're trying to just lead well, because, you know, like I like to look out and see faces of like, Oh, this person's going through this, this song's really going to speak to them, or this person really needs to, you know, sing this over themselves this morning, or this person needs to proclaim this about God this morning in their life. So to not see faces and not be able to connect that to people was very, very challenging. And then even moving into, you know, we're, we're back to meeting in person, but we're also still continuing, you know, streaming online because that was the goal through the whole shutdown was we wanted to make sure that we continued that ministry because we realized that we were building an entirely separate congregation, separate from the people that regularly attended our church. Like we had people, you know, we have people regularly giving that have never stepped through our doors. And so we wanted to make sure that we continued to minister to those people and continue to share the gospel through that platform and continue to do it well. But now it's a, it's another dynamic of like, how do you lead you know, before I could at least recognize like, oh, okay, no one's in here. I'm leading our local church congregation and a handful of, you know, other people that, you know, people do watch parties and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, so it's like everyone's watching, you know, that's, that's kind of the mentality that I had to just kind of try to speak into people's lives in a broader uh, sense. But now it's like, now there's people in the room and we're streaming. So I have to like address both you know what I mean? Like yeah. the people that are there and pay attention to what's going on in the room, but also like be aware that people are still at home, you know, because they haven't made their way back to in-person gatherings or people that are just checking out, like what is church about? What is Jesus about? So it's just a weird dynamic of trying to, I guess, like marry that concept of leading in person and online. So it's, it's exhausting. Sundays are <laughs> 
are a, a work day, but they're also a really, really long nap day afterwards. So <laughs> true. Yes, that is true, man. It's such a good, just like you saying, like people have been giving that have never been to your doors. Like there's a whole new congregation. It just is another example that I've heard over the last few months of like God works through everything, even when we hate it. <laughs> it's like, yep. didn't want to do this. I would much rather have it not happened. Obviously there are bad parts about this situation, but God's like, don't worry good things are going to happen. And that's so cool that you're able to continue that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's not been without hiccups or challenges along the way, you know, as, as most people have faced, you know, and we were at least in the position of, you know, like I have a lot of experience with technology and stuff. So, and I, I also, you know, I'm technically not full-time at the church, but I, I work full-time for the church, but my primary source of income is I own and operate a hair salon. So I make my own schedule. So I, I can be very, very available to research things, to make sure that things are working, to, you know, like what's the next step? You know, it's constantly for me evaluating where are we at, but what's the next step? What's next for us? How do we continue to, to better ourselves so that we can speak to more people, so that we can reach more people? And, you know, people that, that randomly stumble across our feed, you know, they can see that it can be done with excellence, you know, cause I have a lot of friends that know that, you know, I was in a band for years. And uh, one of the biggest, I think complaints that I heard oftentimes is like, you know, church music is lame or um, church media is subpar or, you know, just things just aren't done to the, I guess the caliber that they're accustomed to like in the world. So they just, you know, never wanted to give it a glance, you know, and it's like, the reality is, is there, there's a lot of churches out there that are, that are doing things with excellence that are, you know, striving to, you know, make music great, you know, and all of these things are, I, I think, valuable for uh, all of our churches. And, you know, I'm constantly praying. I'm in a season, finding myself in a season where I want to be a church that resources other churches because in our area, the reality is, is there's a lot of churches that probably won't make it you know, because they don't have someone within their congregation that understands technology, that understands streaming, that understands pro audio. I mean, we've even got churches that, you know, don't even have a handful of musicians, you know, so that, that becomes a challenge as well, which is where, you know, tracks are wonderful if you have someone that understands how to implement those. So I've been recently just giving a lot of my own personal time and trying to help other churches in the area of like, I wish it was as easy as like, Hey, go buy this and you'll be set, you know, but the reality yeah. is, is it takes effort and it takes time to, to research things and to, to implement systems and put things in place so that they're done well. Because my heart is, is like, I would hope that anyone that stumbles across any churches live feed, they are just captivated by the beauty of, you know, God being creator. And then he created us to be creative, you know, so that people yeah. can be like, wow, that's like, that's really good. I wasn't expecting that. And, uh, you know, obviously Jesus being the thing that, that really tugs on their heartstrings, you know, not necessarily that like, oh, that music was awesome, but you know, the music is there to support the message and to enhance the things that we're singing about God or to God or over one another to edify one another. So, so that's been my heart lately is really just trying to be a church that resources other churches and whatever way that we can to help people. Cause it's not about, you know, 
it's not about my local church being like, oh, the cool church. You're like, we do things yeah. better than you. I, I hate that mentality. And I feel like there's, <laughs> there's too many churches that have that mentality of like, you know, these are our people. We do things the best. And I mean, at least where, where I'm at, you know, there's a handful of churches that, you know, that's what it feels like. You know, <laughs> it might not be the complete heart or sentiment behind everyone you know, there, but I, I think we need to break down those walls and those barriers of thinking yeah. that like, oh, it's our church when reality is it's, it's Christ's church and then do whatever we can to help build up every local church body to, to be able to be their best and to have their own unique voice within the universal church. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing your heart behind that. Totally on board with resourcing churches um, at Loop Community. Definitely love that. Flipping over to producing, because you also, among many other things, it sounds like, produce tracks. And you said only been a producer for six months, but for only six months, you have a lot of tracks. What do you like about producing? I would say ultimately the the creativity behind it. I've never been one. <laughs> this doesn't help me sell tracks, but I've never been one to use someone else's tracks. <laughs> That's good. I, I enjoy making the song our own. You know, I enjoy trying to navigate the waters of our church, finding our own voice. What yeah. makes us unique? What are our strong suits and how do we play off of those? So when I make tracks, I'm primarily making them just for our church team. The only reason that I've probably been a producer for six months is because I just didn't have the time to upload them. You know, our, our church has been on tracks for almost two years. Um you know, I started two years ago, actually this Sunday, and uh, we moved to tracks maybe three, four months in, and we watched things really take off musically and um, just tightening everything up and, and being able to really just focus on worshiping, you know, like that was one of the one of the things that I love, you know, so I, I would say it's just the, the being able to be creative, being able to think through uh, what is needed, you know, for our team specifically to to help fill out the sound. But I love I love experimenting with tones. I'm primarily a guitar player, and I've got like a ridiculous guitar pedal board. So, <laughs> as most worship guitar players do, and we love playing, we love messing around with stuff. So, um, I started getting into production probably 10 years ago because I was in a band called After Z and we started off as a five piece and then we became a four piece. And then when we lost our bass player and we were a three piece, we found ourselves like not wanting to look for more people because we just had issues like finding musicians in the area that were on the same page, like uh, either musically or spiritually or relationally or where they're at in life. So we found ourselves moving to creating our own backing tracks. Um, so I played guitar, a little bit of keys, and uh, did all like the programming and stuff w along with uh, our lead singer, who also played keys and sang and did a lot of track production as well. So, so that's kind of what birthed it all, and that was what gave a lot of, I guess, experience in like automating things, MIDI programming, stuff like that. But so ultimately, I would say the thing I love most is the uh, the creative element of just being able to experiment with stuff and 
finding like what it is that's necessary to to find our own unique voice that fills out what we already currently have live so that's awesome yeah that's one of the coolest part about community tracks is so many of them are made for that producer's church and so when you look through the community tracks you're getting so much more creativity you're getting like a lot of times i listen to one and i'm like oh man that might actually be cooler than the original version because it's just such a creative <laughs> take on the track um, yeah so i love that about community tracks so that's awesome uh a lot of times when someone wants to start producing they don't know where to start they don't know where to start with like a track specifically like when you listen to a track how do you start what's like the first step you do to create that track well one i i need to know the song just well enough to where I can get a feel for what was the what was the writer's original intent, you know, because I'm big on music complementing the theme, music complementing like the words that we're actually singing. Um, but then also like stylistically, like so there might be a song that like lyrically I love, but musically I'm like, oh, I don't really care for that. So is there a way that I can just revamp this and you know rearrange it? even with chord structure and stuff like that. So really just understanding the song, I would say is the, the beginning. And then knowing where you want to go with it, that's dependent on who you have to work with. You know, because if I have a drummer that can only play like very basic, boom, boom, you know, I'm not going to pick songs that, that have like really, really weird polyrhythm drum fills. That, you know what I mean? It's just like, so, and there's songs I think that you can recreate to fit your needs. So understanding the vision of the song or the concept of the song, and then also understanding musicians that you have at your disposal to actually make something work uh, in the context live is crucial. So knowing both of those things, like those are two things that I don't even really think about. They just come naturally. So for me, when it actually comes down to like production and beginning uh, making a track, I start with the, just the very basics of like, okay, well, like right now I'm working on Christ Be Magnified by Cody Carnes because that's going to be our anthem for the year. We're doing the theme of unity at the foot of the cross, like revolved around Ephesians 4, 3. So that's going to be like our anthem for the full year. And uh, Cody Carnes, like, man, I don't have to do anything to that track. Like <laughs> he's just a, a music, he's one of the musical geniuses, you know, like he understands I mean, he plays bass, he plays guitar, he plays piano, he sings. Like, he understands song structure from every instrument's perspective. So, yeah. and there's very few, you know, Phil Wickham's another one. There's very few artists where I'm just like, I either feel like I don't want to touch the song because I'm like, nope, I, I can't, nope, I won't be able to do it any justice. You know, Phil Wickham's got a couple songs like that where I'm just like, vocally, I'm not there. Guitar, yeah. yes. Vocally, like, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. But this song Cody Carnes has, I'm like, I think the arrangement's perfect. I think the sounds and textures that he has are perfect. So what I'll do is I'll just import the song and I start by creating a skeleton of, you know, like this is the intro, you know, and then I, I put in the click track, like so that it's tempoed. I use Ableton Live. So I create like a master track that has the tempo that way whenever I open it up in anything, it's it's automatically changing the tempo in Ableton wherever I open it. So I'll create the skeleton, which is like your click, your cues, uh, like your master tempo, stuff like that. I'm originally a sound guy. My dad was a sound technician for years. So I got into like just audio engineering 
uh, very young before I even, I didn't start playing like guitar until I was like 18 or 19. So, and I didn't start singing until I was like 20. And then I started leading worship like a couple months later. So it was all very like streamlined, but originally I'm a sound guy. So I have just a lot of experience with how things work and what you should use and how to use them and uh, what sounds good, what doesn't sound good, stuff like that. Because, you know, my dad was that and he was also a guitar player. So, so I operate making my tracks how I would run sound. And I, I start that from the foundation up. So, you know, mixing, it's always drums, bass, you know, foundational elements that are, this is the pulse of the song. So now granted we have a drummer live, so I don't ever do drums in my tracks unless it's uh, like an auxiliary percussion that I just want to add, even though we use a pad trigger and most of the time we don't need that. So most of the time, if I'm adding a percussion, it's tambourine that's 16th notes because our drummer doesn't want to play them. But so I'll start with the skeleton and then I create, I lay down like a subtrack because we also have a bass player, but you know, bass obviously standard four string bass only goes down to a specific frequency and it's, you know, actual bass guitar is more heard than felt. Mm -hmm. So I always create a subtrack because I like having that underlining uh, the actual bass player's part that's, you know, it's usually very, very simple, um, but it's, it's more the felt yeah. than heard kind of mm -hmm. component of like the subs. Um, and it just really thickens things up and just really understanding where that placement needs to be, I think is, is crucial as well because you can make things too busy. And I think that that's, that's the fine line that most of us are dancing uh, when we're creating tracks of, you know, what is necessary? What do we need? And there's times when I'll add more than necessary mm -hmm. uh, if I'm uploading something, but there, there might be an additional six stems on a track that I upload and we don't use those six stems live because yeah. it makes it too busy for us. But for someone else, you know, it, it might be like, Oh, well, I like this, but not this. Yeah. So it kind of gives people options of, you know, Hey, we want to do an acoustic thing. You know, so like we're just going to roll with this pad and these cellos, you know, nice. so and we're going to remove the arpeggiated because, you know, doing an acoustic set with an arpeggiated piece or like a pulsating thing is kind of weird sometimes. So being able to have that option of pulling stuff out, I think, is is crucial. But that's where I start is that's foundationally. Awesome. And I just I just build my way up like I'm running sound. So that's cool. I love how like methodical the process is, but how much creativity there is in that as well. That's really yeah. cool. What is the hardest part creating a track? Is it a certain instrument? Is it afterwards, like for you specifically? I would say the hardest part is, you know, because I also, I've done a lot of studio work and the only part of studio work that I don't like is mastering just because it's an art form in and of itself. Of how do I make this sound good across all platforms you know, regardless of the speakers that it's on, regardless of the space that it's in, is this conveying what I want it to convey musically? Is this, is this sounding how I want it to sound across everything? So obviously I'm in my basement and I have things sound treated. I also have the room EQ'd, uh, very similar to, the, to how I have the room EQ'd in our worship center. So for me is wanting it to translate from here when I'm an art, literally like I can touch my speakers. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm an arm's throw from both of my speakers. And yeah. uh, 
you know, but obviously I'm moving into a much bigger space with a PA and subs and, you know, we, we push it much louder and stuff like that. So how do I get that to translate based on what I'm hearing starting in my head and then what I'm hearing actually with what I'm making? So that would be what I'd say is the hardest thing. One thing that I've found that is very, very helpful of that is understanding where instruments should sit on the Mm. frequency spectrum, you know, because I'll record like a guitar track for a song and always I will throw a low cut on it, probably Mm. around 300 hertz because there's no reason for anything below that to come through. Like it sounds amazing by itself if I'm soloing it to have that extra low end for like, you know, maybe like a palm muted part or real big open chord or something like that. But when you put that in the context of the room with a subtract going with, you know, other instruments, maybe there's a piano or a low swelling pad or something like that, that detail gets really muddy. Yeah. So, so I've really just, I focus on where, where are things sitting? And I do a lot of low pass filters, high pass filters, because the reality is, is like, if I'm putting like a lead part, for instance, even this song, I don't know if you can hear this, but the lead part on Christ Be Magnified, I wanted to do something a little different, not necessarily like with the piano part. And I still want to have like, because I play guitar, I play a seven string guitar when I lead, which most Ooh. people are like, what? I come from like a, like a metal background. Okay. Um, so I like heavier music. So I actually nice. lead from a seven string, but like this lead part, Can you hear that? Yeah. So that's like, it's two different like synth. One's like an actual like uh, square lead. And then one is actually like a a more just natural wave pad. And they're like blended together. But neither of them have anything over 400 hertz coming through. And neither of them have anything over 1200 hertz coming through either. Um, So really just understanding like where on the frequency spectrum each instrument should sit so that nothing is competing for that sonic space, I think is is really, really crucial because, you know, most people just like leave things wide open or, you know, and and there's no need for that. Like, um, and I try to avoid even like if I'm putting a piano part, like I have to remember that there's a subtrack and a bass player. Like I don't need to play octave, like lower chords for like a piano part, you know, (laughs) unless it's specifically going to be, for another church, you know what I mean? That wants yeah. that lower end. Sure. So if I, if I do that, I might create a completely separate track with lower octave piano chords. But that would be what I would say is the hardest thing is having things translate from one space to another properly. Yeah, that's tough for sure. I love just hearing you to talk about it because every producer is different and just hearing how much you think about that's really cool, man. So thank you just for sharing that for sure. Last question I'll ask you. What is your favorite track you've produced so far? Oh, man. Probably hard to pick, but oh, one you on. like. doesn't have to be the best. What is my favorite one? Let me, I have, a, <laughs> so like I've been creating like just this arsenal. I think I have like, I think I have like 20 tracks that are uploaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On Loop Community. I always get like pending or declined because my, my cue counts are very specific for 
my band. And sometimes oh, they, yeah. it just like slips my mind like, oh, like, so I'll have like chorus, kick it in three, four. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you can't do that. And I'm like, dang it. I always <laughs> forget. And, and I'll yeah. just go back through and redo it all. I would have to say, actually, probably my favorite was the first one that I did, actually. And it's also my most popular track on Loop Community. And it's What a Beautiful Name It Is. Nice. Um, I really Great. wanted, like, just strong, like, orchestral composition. Because we hmm. we definitely, like, teeter more towards, like, like the rock-type worship stuff or, like, very anthemic stuff. So, and we have... Uh, our girl that leads Sydney Smith, man, she's just like a powerhouse with this song. And we released a live album with this on oh, cool. it. And I've had multiple people that are like, man, I love that song, but now I won't listen to any other version of it. So I would say that what a beautiful name it is, is my favorite just because of a multitude of like cellos and violins and like, That's cool. it's just really, really beautiful. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I love pairing that with like more like rock band so it's like orchestral rock you know and and her voice on that song she's such a powerhouse uh it's it's one of our church favorites so i would say that that's my favorite one yeah i I would stick with i would stick with that one being being my favorite one that i've ever done and oddly enough it was was my first one that's awesome man well, thank you so much for your time, just getting to know you. It's so cool to get to just, I mean, I see like, oh, this track was uploaded by Jesse Fellows, but it's awesome to get to meet you and get to hear your story and your heart yeah, man. and just how much time you take on these tracks. That's so cool, man. For everybody watching, go check out Jesse's tracks. Just search Jesse Fellows on Loop Community. His tracks will pull up. When you purchase a community track, you're supporting Jesse and yeah, his tracks are awesome. He's got a bunch on the site, and it sounds like a really cool one from Cody Carnes coming soon. So, yeah, thanks again, Jesse. Appreciate your time, man. Just getting to know you. Appreciate all you do for the community and making tracks and help us build our catalog. We love it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the Loop Community Podcast. Music from this episode is brought to you by John Guerra from his album, Little Songs. Make sure you check it out on Apple Music or Spotify. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, leave a review and a rating. It means a lot. We'll see you soon.